Can you give an example? Can you give an example, perhaps, of an organization that's using technology to facilitate their collaborative processes? Whether it's here within the government or, or examples that you've seen in the private sector. Communities of practice software and communities of practice is an approach and a, and a tool set that a lot of organizations are trying to um, take advantage of. Uh, there's an expression that suggests that communities of practice is the killer app of knowledge management or knowledge exchange, knowledge mobilization. And I, and I believe that's true because it really is about getting people to, to talk in open conversation. This Canada School has a center of excellence on communities of practice in Montreal, in our Quebec region. And these, this group will go into departments across Canada. They have a national mandate. They'll go into departments across Canada and help the department set up communities of practice with uh, some roles and responsibilities laid out, the experience shared. And they will custom, uh, customize the application, the technology application, towards that, that set of parameters and that purpose for that uh, community of practice. And uh, from what I can see and what I have heard, they have been very successful in doing that. Okay. When do you know that you're getting the value from implementing something like that? Is there a turning point or is it incremental? There will be an aha moment, I think, in most cases. It can be in the form of finding something that was thought lost. It can be in the form of uh, creating something very new using that community and it can be in the form of continuing to show uh, improvement in the organization, in its productivity, in its employee satisfaction levels, in, its, in all of the resultant uh, indicators such as sick days, etc., etc. There will be an aha moment. Why is this in all cases? But that, the aha moment will be very different, I think. I worked in, I was involved in one community of practice in, uh, in an organization and we were, we were around project management and the organization was a member of the conference board's project management council and uh, at one point the, pro uh, the conference board decided it wanted to develop a model for good project management skills and competencies and so it invited its, its customers to put forward their models, their respective models and it would choose the best one or amalgamate. And and we as a community were an informal community practice on project management in this organization. There were six of us that got together. We said, let's, let's put something in to this, uh, this request for a model. We didn't have a model that we were working with explicitly, but we all had, because of our community practice, we had some shared understanding about how we would work best as a project manager. And we were simply able, over the course of a couple of hours, to articulate that, to make that explicit, mm. that tacit knowledge, to make it explicit. We shared that model then with the conference board, and they chose that model over the model put forward by large private sector research firms, large banks, and a number of other organizations, 20-some organizations. They chose that model. That was, that was an aha moment, because there was legitimacy to the the value of the, the community and the, uh, the consensus that it was building, the capacity that it was building in the organization. But the, the aha moment has, has occurred very differently. In that case, it was we produced something that, that had external validity assigned to it. In other organizations, in, uh, in the Treasury Board, I, 
we were launching we launched a community of practice for um, individuals who had a certain type of client crown corporations as a, as a client they were at the staff level and during a weekly meeting of directors general which i attended all the time there was a discussion around a certain topic and in spite of the fact that this community of practice that I had launched was an informal community of practice, no terms of reference, no charter, no meeting minutes, or anything of that nature, and it was simply a group of people getting together who need to know about what each other's doing and find out what's coming up and contribute to it. These directors general, EX2s, EX3s, had a discussion at their meeting and they said, there's, uh, why don't we give this issue that they were discussing at their table, why don't we give this issue to the Crown Corporation Analyst Network because they need to re resolve this issue. So they immediately, they, through that, they recognized and validated the role of this community of practice. Not as a formal working group, a formal community, a formal committee. But as a form of collective intelligence. As a form of collective intelligence. Okay. Exactly. And there was an aha moment there. That's, I mean, those, those are really interesting value-building examples. So why is it so hard to implement good knowledge exchange, knowledge management process? What are the principal barriers for being able to do this if it builds value? I think there are a, quite a number of barriers. In the federal government, there are a number of systemic barriers, one of which is, the I mentioned, the deputy minister rotation and the rotation of succeeding levels, so at the ADM rotation, it's about the same duration, two to three years. And there's a lot of mobility across the government. And while mobility has benefits, it also has the effect of destabilizing okay. the organization. So instability is a, is a barrier to sustained organizational change, and that's one of our systemic issues. There are, there's also an issue about more than just silos. But the HR community talks only to the HR community. Right. And the planning community only talks to the planning community. And the IT community only talks to the IT community. And yet, they need to talk to each other. So does the concept in healthcare, the concept of knowledge brokers is emerging. Uh, do you see a time when the concept of knowledge brokers might be implemented in the federal government or in other large, complex organizations like this? I think there is a huge role for... for I hate to use the word integration, okay. but some sort of relationship building so that we can leverage the depth of experience of individual vertical functions and groups, such as the, these communities, functional communities, uh, leverage that in a collective process. I know that the federal government is trying to build a process of integrated planning between the human resource management function and the business planning function. Right. And there's a huge challenge around that. That has been going on now for a number of years. But that's only the one through the one, with one domain, not the information management domain, the information technology domain, the co the uh, communications domain, the the uh, number of other domains, uh, the policy domain, the research domain, the stakeholder domain, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a huge need for relationship management, relationship building and achieving a level of value far in excess of the value that any one of those individual functions can achieve. Well, that's a, that's a value statement, and I think that's one of the rewards for engaging in this, you know, in this, in this movement and in, the, in this work. Um, what are some of the other rewards from having good knowledge 
management, knowledge exchange, knowledge mobilization put in place? I think it's important for organizations, for federal government organizations, to understand frequently, certainly they need to be reminded of the purpose, the real value for their existence. And that's individuals on the street, individuals who receive checks, individuals who receive health care services, individuals who need assistance in their, in their home environment. The Canadian federal government is fo- it should be focused very heavily on, on the outcome, not from a policy perspective, not from a research perspective, not from a, a, a political perspective, but from a client perspective. And I believe that's the, that's the outcome that we should really be striving for, to re- be reminded of the faces of some of the people who benefit from what we do, and that's why we do it. This is an impossible question, and I I get groans when I ask it. If you had a crystal ball and you could look 10 years into the future, uh, what does it look like? Gartner Group has said that in the future we won't call this thing knowledge management, we'll call it management. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've used that one frequently. In fact, what they said was in 1998, they said that in five years we'll call it management. And here we are, nine years later, and there's still a, a dearth of understanding about what KM is, knowledge exchange, knowledge mobilization. So what we're looking at is generational change. And I think that 10 years on, we will have moved further towards that. And unfortunately, we will have been forced into moving closer to it because of the demographic changes that will be upon us. We will have no choice but to do it. We have had a choice over the last 10 years. And the leadership has decided that there were other priorities to focus on, the tyranny of the urgent, rather than sustain long-term change with that vision. So we have a short-term horizon in most cases in organizations. They're looking three years out. And I think we need to start really thinking five, ten years out. I think very much the case. So I, I think we will be closer to a world where we have no question but to work together more effectively because there will be less uh, individuals around. The knowledge will be gone. We will have to think about how to recapture, regain, redevelop the knowledge. Uh, and that will become the priority, I believe. And so that will drive, I think, some the change happening faster. Okay. So the, the urgency becomes the urgency. The urgency will finally become the important. Okay. Um, I, I sent you a list of questions before, and we've gone through most of those there. One of the things I've learned through doing these, these interviews is to just open up the, the floor. Is there something that is, is burning that we haven't discussed, Some you know, an issue that you would like to bring up that we just haven't touched on yet? That's a very good question. I, I guess what I struggle with is we live in a world that is still focused on the short term, the immediate, and very much the self-centered needs and desires of, uh, of the key leaders. And I realize that that's broad brushing, but I think that the, the role of leadership is one that really has been under uh, misunderstood, undervalued, and is, is needing a huge re-engineering, if you will. We need to re-engineer the concept of leadership for the modern world. Paul, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh-huh.